You're listening to United Q Podcast. We're brought to you by ProQ, Kamado Joe, Thermopen, and Smokewood Shack. ProQ's extensive range of bullet smokers, reverse flow, and gravity-fed smokers will suit all, from the home enthusiast to the big volume caterer. Kamado Joe, the king of ceramics, is renowned for build quality and innovation. When smoking, roasting, or searing, get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Thermapen Instant Read Thermometers. Take the guesswork out of barbecuing with the super fast Thermapen. Smokewood Shack delivers quality smoking wood every time. They provide the smoky goodness, you provide the talent. This week's show, we have Lord Logs, aka Mark Parr. Hey, mate, how are you? Hello, how are you? Very good. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for inviting me. It's a good one. Thank you. Um, me, me and Dan were just chatting before we started that we were so, we we say this nearly every show now. Oh, we've been trying to get this guy on the show for ages, but you literally are in. We had a list of people when we started to do this podcast. And you were on the list before we even started doing the podcast. And we've never managed to get you on. So we've finally got <laughs> you on here. Um, I've been an elusive character. Yeah. Very much. We're stuck in the woodland, basically. Yeah. Um, so for, for anyone who doesn't know who you are, um, could you give us a little intro of who you are and what you do? Okay, so um, my name is Mark Parr. I'm, I'm on social media. I'm commonly known as Lord Logs. Which is quite a handy handle to hide behind. Um, we make charcoal and wood for chefs, and we make equipment for chefs, bespoke equipment, weapons for chefs, and uh, we distribute into the restaurant industry, in, mostly in London, where we supply 300 restaurants every week. Uh, we're based in Rotherhive in South East London, so we're on the food mile. And we also deliver into Ireland and Scandinavia. And next year we break into New York. New York? Wow. wow. So, yeah, other than that, we just trundle along. <laughs> you got, <laughs> my car's on, on Broadway next year. Yeah. <laughs> you got time yeah. to trundle along, have you? <laughs> no, no. We travel a lot as well. If, you, if, if anyone sees our social media, our Instagram mainly, we are always out looking for the real thing, the real fire pit deal. You know, whether we go to Rioja in Spain and, you know, in search of vine wood 
charcoal. We make charcoal in Spain, we make charcoal in England. So yeah, we're always out looking for something new to put into the market that's culturally relevant. Awesome. So, yeah. so how did you get started in this world, Mark? So I first started getting paid uh, to cut trees when I was a teenager. This sounds really mad now, but when I was at school, I was 14, I started working for a local uh, tree surgeon who'd lost the guy. I'm not lost. <laughs> he had um, the guy who used to do the top cutting for him wasn't top cutting for him anymore. So I, top cutter is the guy that hangs from the top of the tree on the rope and abseils down. The dangerous one. <laughs> yeah. But the, the fall doesn't kill you. It's just the last about the last inch that kills you when you yeah. hit the ground. So you, can hitting the ground. <laughs> you can avoid hitting the ground. You generally survive. So I started doing that at 14. Um, and then more seriously, when I was 16, I got into art school quite early. I got into art school two years early. And that, being a top cutter, I was getting adult wages at the time. Um, and uh, that helped me pay for myself through art school because I went to study design at art school. So that's how I started. And then zoom forward, I came to London. I worked in the design business and just kind of got a bit, I kind of bit out of rhythm with everything really because it was too sort of fast. And I realized that actually the happiest place I was was when I was back in the woodland because I could sort of feel the seasons again. So yeah. I started London Log Company which is kind of an irony, really. We started cutting wood in my front garden in Sydney in South East London 15 years ago. <laughs> and people were so curious of a man wielding an axe, which when you think about it now, sounds quite sort of, you know, out there. But I was, I'd be in the front splitting wood all the time. A mate of mine was a tree surgeon still, and he used to bring me around the sliced trunks. So I just used to split them in the front. Split it down, yeah. Yeah, and um, people started asking us if we would sell wood. So we started supplying, you know, to local people and ironically put a little, you know, logs for sale sign out. And before we knew it, we had a little round going, you know, in the sort of Crystal Palace and Dulwich area, uh, selling logs to people's homes. And that was really the sort of early days of it. And now you have hundreds of restaurants weekly. Yeah, it's mad, really. <laughs> I, think, I think the change was, is when um, someone suggested we use Twitter and then I figured out how to blog. And once you figured out how to sort of, you know, get use the internet, people start calling you from all over. Um, and that, so that seven years ago, it kind of turned. And then we started, I started, I was always cooking on wood anyway. Um, and I started to speak to Scott Collins, actually, from Meat Picker. Yeah, and we were talking about Burnt Ends and Dave Pink when it was um, up in Mare Street in Hackney. So I started mm -hmm. working with Dave Pink supplying Applewood from Kent, um, and that was where our journey into the food industry started. And that's when the Logco just really changed. It started to ramp up, and you know I started to do it as a full-time job. Because until then I was doing it as a sort of seasonal job. Yeah, so, and like the log company, yeah. Uh, so. Is, has sort of reputation of, of really changing the, the food scene in London drastically uh, with all these restaurants now cooking over live fire. And yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people that I talk to and a lot of people who have the podcast mention your name and mention the London Log Company as, as one of the influencing factors towards that. And it was yeah. a lot of, and from stuff I've seen is, 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 and stuff I've heard, it's sort of like where you've 
spoke about basically of wood being a uh, seasoning or a an ingredient just as yeah. maybe a yeah. like a fillet or a steak or something like that. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's also think, another ingredient. Yeah, I, th- I think what happened was that when I looked at it, um, and I, I looked around the world, and I sort of started to separate. You know, like if you take a bag of charcoal and open it, it looks like a bag of black stuff. But if you're familiar with wood, then you can sort of knock the species, you know, out and separate them. And I started to think that if we could take the sort of profile of each wood and define it um, so that you had wood for aromatics, because you do it anyway. You have smoked oak smoked salmon and apple smoked ham. Yeah. Do it. So we're familiar with it. So there's a, there is a reference point in our, in our sort of canon, as it were. But we... I suppose what we did was we looked at things like the raw wine movement and I looked at coffee and I just thought, well, all these people are talking about these single estates and these, you know, these particular coffees and particular wines. And so yeah. I looked at I looked at the the language around that and I thought, well, that fits, really. It makes sense that we could, because like anything that you're not used to, you need some sort of reference point in your existing dialogue. And if you're coming into the restaurant industry... You need to understand how people speak. So we kind of started developing this sort of a dialogue of, around wood and what it, how its aromatics are, and people responded to it. And they responded because it, it it made a notable difference to what they were doing. Yeah. So, um, and then what we also did was I went and looked at how a chef orders their kitchen. So. We, we based our way of being much like a fishmonger or a, a butcher or a cheesemonger would. So we, we are like a merchant. That's a, that's a merchant mentality. Yeah. So we look how they receive their orders, how they make their orders, how they store in their kitchens. And we, so we, we kind of mapped our way of doing it onto that. So we made it feel like the same way as ordering fish or cheese. or, or Just another ingredient into the kitchen. Yeah. And it... Um, yeah, it, it, it took off. I mean, it's been a hair-raising ride, I must say. It's been a very, very, you know, like I said, we, you know, we now supply 300-plus restaurants a week, so that's thousands of pieces going out each day. I mean, on average, there's four to five tonnes of charcoal a day alone. So, you know, you can imagine what it's like, the logistics of that. So, yeah, but it's, it's really interesting. But, yeah, we, we seem to have made a, a, a culture change or, or people have adopted what, we were talking about yeah it seems to have happened i cannot deny awesome amazing and what sorry go on i was gonna say so so you transitioned from kind of you start off as a almost like a tree surgeon really chopping up your wood and stuff and then you kind of had to learn this extra skill of actually turning this wood into charcoal and what was that process yeah. like to learn that well so i i was really lucky because i was i mean i've lived in ireland i've lived in i went to school in belgium so I've seen a lot of things that are sort of slightly, you know, things, you know, like I've seen fire cooking in Belgium a long time before I saw fire cooking in this country. Because we used to go across the border to Germany and in the winter you'd have a, a whole a whole wild boar on a spit, you know, and it was quite a, quite an arresting sight. And then when I was moved back to Sussex, I lived near the Duke of Norfolk estate in Arundel, Sussex. Um, and they still had charcoal burners on the estate, so I just used to sit and watch them. So it was always something I was kind of fascinated with the conversion of. Um, and so when 
when I got the opportunity to work with charcoal makers here at the um, Merriworth Woodland down in Kent, I, I was familiar with much of the process, but they were really patient with me. Um, I was just like the naughty kid who just kept hanging around until they just said, oh, you know, hey, do you want to have a look, see how we do this properly? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, was, I wasn't going away. So I spent probably, as I, was, I used to trade wood out of there, um, and which is much how I ended up with my Lord Logs title, which I'll come back to in a minute. But so I spent about three years with charcoal makers in Kent, just observing what they do and how they do it and why they do it. And then I started asking them some fundamental questions. Because I'm, my dad was an, my brother's an engineer, and my dad was a designer and an engineer. So I come from a family that has always taken everything apart. Yeah. So to understand how something works, we've always sort of, you know, my mum used to say, "Can't I have anything that's together still?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so watching charcoal making made sense because you're putting one thing in, and then it was, you know, discharging all the, you know, the compound elements, and then you were yeah. being left with this, this carbon, you know, an impure carbon. And I fundamentally kind of have understood that because it's, it's an engineering as well as a, a craft process. Um, so then I started asking them to do things like, well, why can't we just put one species into the into the retort? And the guys, the guys were like, you know, no way, you're crazy. You know? and I, so I, they, they, did, they wouldn't do it for me. But I was very fortunate in our early days. I was writing on a forum. And someone wrote to me privately via the forum and said, I like what you're talking about. I was talking about, basically, if you're going to cook your prized piece of beef, which has been reared and dry aged and everything, you're going to cook it. A lot of barbecue forums seem to talk about the kit. And at the time, they weren't talking about the fuel. And yet, to me, it made sense because the, the fuel is the last place that the the product, the beef or whatever you're cooking, spends its last journey in front of. So it seemed yeah. to make sense to me that that was one of the ingredients. Yet everyone was talking about, oh, I bought this fuel at, you know, the local petrol station. And no one really had a, a mind to ask where that came from. So that was really part of the catalyst of, of the charcoal making. Um, and then um, I was very lucky I found um, these guys found me online and just sort of said, look, I really like what you're talking about. And I was like, oh, well, what do you do? It turned out they were in the they were very big in the wood harvesting business. Um, so, I mean, I was absolutely skint at the time. So I just jumped on the train and went up to see them. They picked me up and we went out to this, um, you know, this farm area, which was an old piggery. And um, <clears throat> it turns out that they had bought a charcoal retort as almost like a hobby. So. I was like, well, what are you going to do with it? And they said, I don't know. What do you think we should do with it? <laughs> so I said, well, you could make some single species charcoals because that would be an interesting proposition because that way I think we've got a conversation to start with chefs, much like single estate tea or, you know, like single estate coffee. If we yeah. could have a single species charcoal and, and we, you know, then we had a, we had an entry and a product that no one else was doing. So um, the guys said, oh, well, look, at this point in the conversation, you better come and have a look in here. And what they'd done already, they'd already burned each individual species of wood and turned them into individual species of charcoal. So I said, well, what are you going to do with it? And they said, we don't know. We just wanted to see, you know, see what happened. And I realised quite early on with these guys that they were so analytical about everything they did that that for us was in hindsight was a, a, a massive 
gateway into the industry because we didn't have the financial clout to do it, but we had the ambition and the ideas. Yeah. And this this guy John Fish, who I'm still we still work very closely together and I'm friends with, um, he was very brave in in that he he let me have it. He said, "I'm going to give you a year." To to just work with your ideas, and I'll I'll back them basically. So I, I was lucky. I had a, a guy who was you know successful in the wood business who had access to the prime quality wood and could make charcoal. And so we did these joint ventures together, and everything I did succeeded, which was really lucky. Um, mainly because my ass was on fire financially, <laughs> so I had to succeed. <laughs> yeah, didn't have a choice. You couldn't let it no, go. <laughs> no. My blog my blog used to say. Uh, open seven night days and seven nights a week. Yeah, that's that. So that, <laughs> and we literally were. You know, I could. It wasn't unusual to come back at one in the morning from you know from delivery. No. And so we had these single species charcoals, and then I met up with Tom Adams uh, from PQ, and me and him just got on really well because he understood that I was. You had something to offer so i suggested to him that we make different charcoals and different woods at different parts of the season and we run them through seasoning see if we could sort of play with the aromatics and tom was just like yeah let's do it log man and tom's quite <laughs> a focused individual um and we just used to spend hours in the kitchen just you know talking nonsense about charcoals and woods and but actually that you know it's very relevant but yeah i was very lucky I had some really early adopters um and then I hadn't realised that, you know, I didn't know the relationship in the, in the restaurant industry um, with people like uh, Rich Turner, um, you know, who, you know, he's got, he's huge in our industry. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. Exec of Hawksmoor and he's, you know, writes books and everything. But in the early days, he was kind of looking in at our, us playing, you know, with all these different woods and charcoals and, you know, was quite interested. And then... Uh, Lee Tiernan was uh, was at St John at the time. And he called me up and said, "Do you want to come in and have a chat with us? I want to make a fridge into a smoker because I was making these sort of devices. You know, I was getting guys who built hardtail choppers to build me these smoking devices that were just beautifully put together. So I went to see Lee, and I was in my full country disguise. So this goes back to my Lord Logs days. So when I was trading wood originally, you can't turn up." in the Kent woodlands or a Kent orchard trying to buy some applewood, looking, you know, wearing trainers and looking like you come from London. And because I understood the country code, I just, you know, redonned all my bashed up barbers and everything like that. I already had a beard so that my face didn't freeze off. <laughs> <laughs> and I just turned up and I bought a metallic green Volvo estate and I just used to drive around the yards of Kent and talking and buying wood. And it was a mate of mine who owns a restaurant called Franklin's in East Dulwich, which is he used to work at St. John, and St. John's another important yeah. part of our journey. And I turned up one day, and Tim's, Tim's from Barnsley, and uh, as I got out of the car, I mean, I must admit, I was in full fine regalia. I had a gold knitted tie on, I had a V-neck jumper on, I had like that three <laughs> different layers, dashed up barbers, I even had spats on. You know. <clears throat> so, and he turned up, and I had a shotgun bag, cartridge bag, which I used to keep all my invoices and receipts and calculator in. And I had that on my shoulder. And as I got out of the car, he looked at me and goes, hey, Jesus, has Lord Logs turned up? <laughs> and that, that's, how it, that's how it stuck. But I used to go down because basically you had to look like you came from the, the area, you know. Um, and that worked really well for a long time until 
I went to buy an orchard of wood down in in Kent, and we got to that stage where we were future buying. And I went down and I saw this guy. I said, "How much of the apple wood can I have?" And he said, "Well, how much do you want?" And I said, "Well, how about all of it?" And he said, "Oh, I know who you are, by the way." And my <laughs> my cover was blown. He said, "Everyone's talking about you. You're the guy that supplies the restaurants in London, aren't you? You're that Lord Logs guy." And so, you know, we we were outed. So, um... <laughs> but did he? He instantly doubled the price, did he? <laughs> no. Well, you know, we did trade a little bit, but what it did, it gave me the opportunity um, to have some time to develop, and uh, and then our, our partners who uh, that we work with now, and the guys who I met online, they just said to me, "That <clears throat> what's your predictions?" And I, I had always had my eye, although the charcoal market was fun, I'd always had my eye on the wood market because I just thought it was such an untapped resource and such a beautiful, unique sort of thing to work with. Yeah. It's much harder than working with charcoal because it's heavier. Um, it's, you know, you've got to cut it a particular shape. You've got to kiln dry it to a particular level. You know, you've got to do all these things to it. And John just said to me one day, after we'd been working together for about a year and a half, I suppose, and we delivered really well on all our promises, um, and so are they. Um, and it was a, it was, it wasn't a contracted thing. We just did it as a, you know, as a, as a partnership, and as a handshake. And he's, a, you know, John's proper old school, and his word is, is his bond. <clears throat> and he said to me one day, okay, if you, if you had free access to this yard, what would you do? And we just got a big piece of paper out. And I drew out my ideal wood processing unit. And it involved a kiln, it involved this fantastic piece of equipment, which is like a 90 grand processing saw, which has got a 26 ton hydraulic ram. It means that one man can operate it with one machine all the way through. It's a one man, one man operation. Yeah. So the logs go through the machine, they get cut, they get viewed with a the camera, they get split. They go off a machine, they get tumbled, so all the loose stuff comes off them. Uh, they go down into a crate, and the crate gets to a certain weight, and they vibrate to settle them so you don't settle, don't lose 12% in transportation. And then from there, they go on a polished concrete floor, which means you can put a pallet truck underneath. Um, they go into a kiln. And the reason we did all those things, I wanted, wanted all those things as part of the setup, because we thought if you're going to grow, you don't want to be going backwards and fixing anything. No, no, no. And so John said to me, okay, we're going to do it. And he spent close to 600 wow. grand on building us this processing unit, which we have today. And we're just, it's just about to go through its about third iteration of growth. Um, so basically every tree, I could tell you who cut it, where they cut it, when they cut it, and how many cubic meters they cut. And I could tell you who transported it how far it came from and I know who's put it through the processor so there's nothing we don't have absolute quality control on and I think that's what's made a difference in the industry is that everything we do is incredibly consistent and incredibly clean and so, so it is like an ingredient it's not you yeah know, we're not leaving anything behind um, and so yeah that's how that's really helped us grow into you know the business that we are today yeah, that is that's incredible. I'd love to see that plant. It sounds amazing. Yeah. What a, yeah, you can come. a cool process. I mean, yeah. And then the interesting thing is people come to see us expecting to see 
you know, like a wood yard. And it, yes, it is a wood yard, but when you actually look at it, it's it's very very clean. It's like an engineer's workshop. Yeah. There's no no dust on the floor. All the machines are really immaculate. And like I said, all the floors are polished, and they're done by the company that the Tate Gallery. So that you know that you know the floors alone are. You know, artwork. Yeah, yeah I can see. I can see this coming through all the time. This is your, your little your art background is yeah, coming yeah. through in everything you do, isn't it? And I'm thinking yeah. about back now to Meet Topia when we were look. We, me and you were stood in front of your stand, and I was like, "Oh, this is a work of art." And you were like, "Yeah, I've got so and so art students to design it." I'm yeah, like, I right, see. Yeah. It's all coming out now. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So yeah, we get a a, a guy. Um, yeah, Mark Hill who puts installations into, you know, the Venice Biennial and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so he builds installations at the Tate. So he comes and hangs our stuff for us. And, yeah, I think, you know, I think people people get it. I mean, when Francis Melman came over, he spent ages inside that log store. You yeah. know, he was fascinated by it. Yeah. But, I th- you know, I think, I, think, I think that's where we've crossed into the industry is people understand that we, although we are you know, a merchant of products, we understand that the, the sort of, you know, the, the the visual and the emotional texture that's around the industry. Because there's a lot of people who've got, you know, because you know, like, look, I'm in Brat now, you know, I think Thomas studied politics and history and Tom Adams studied history. You know, they're, they're people in come into this industry, not always as chefs. So there's a lot of creatives in this industry. I saw yeah. Elizabeth Hague, who, um, who um, she was studied as an architect. Fergus Henderson, going back to St. John, he studied as an architect. And I went to St. John on the second day it ever opened because my friend was the barman there. So it, it really, I found that very inspiring, St. John. It kind of opened a lot of our eyes onto sort of a sort of clear approach onto, um, onto food and how restaurants can be. And um, yeah, um, you know, a lot of the chefs we work with come from what I call the Church of St. John. You know, there's that sort of aesthetic, that sort of approach. Um, and, you know, it's the sort of fire cooking element now in London. It's kind of, there's a craft element to it. And I think it drives out of places like St. John, you know. Yeah, definitely. And you can yeah. s- you can see your whole process in action if you go to Meetopia as well. Because I, yeah. I spent the weekend cooking there last year. And yeah. so I had Julian there. Filling up yeah. my cooker every morning, getting me going, yeah. saving yeah. the day with charcoal. He was running around like a madman, making sure everyone yeah. was all fueled yeah. up. So thank you, Julian. Well, did a good job. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the great thing is having. I mean, when I, I mean, I literally started this with an axe and a borrowed van on 180 quid. You know, and I, I did everything to begin with. But there comes a point. I, I mean, I had a fall and broke my ribs really badly. Um, which made me, I had to sit back for six months and think of how to make Logco operate, which is when I got into sort of focusing on the blog and that sort of thing. I mean, even to this day, this, this sounds mad. We do all these restaurants, we, you know, we do right across the board from very top end at Fat Duck and people like Claire Smythe and that sort of thing. We still don't have a website. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you should get but, one. <laughs> no, it's happening. It's happening now. But, you know, it, there was a sort of two-way thing to that is, um, you know, we've, we've really concentrated on our putting our energies into actually making the service that we provide work. That's that's really key. Yeah. And I think if you ask anyone that works with us, you know, the one thing that really stands out products is uh, alongside the products is the service values, you know. <laughs> 
Do you know what? That's really rare at this day and age. Because at the moment, like, I just think people start a company, for instance, the first thing they do is, I don't know, build a website and it's all got to look glitzy and this and that. And and actually the product or the service isn't actually there yet. They're not, they're not, they haven't worked that part out yet. And Uh, you've actually done the complete opposite thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also we did it as well because, you know, someone said to me a while back, you know, oh, I said, look, do you want my, I mean, I've only just got a business card this year you know, this last month, actually, you know, it's really odd looking at your own business card. Actually, it's a very handy thing. But what we wanted was we wanted to be, we wanted to be a community to, you know, chef to chef recommendation. And that is how we've grown. I mean, things like Instagram have been fantastic for us because it's like a electronic village, you know, of like-minded people. And we all want to live in that village and see who's doing what. And so you, you, you literally live or die by your reputation. So, you know, we, we just have, I have an instinct, and Julian's the same as, that, as well, and which is why we work together now. The instinct is, what does it feel like to be a customer? What does it feel like to be our customer? And then if we, if we provide a service that we would want to buy, then we can, you know, we can rest easy on to the next day. So, it's, you know, for us, it's massively important. And the other thing in this industry is if, if you mess up, and you apologise, people, you know, forgiving once. If you, if you keep messing up and you, yeah. you, know, you have, have the arrogance just to say, well, this is how it is, well, then good luck. But yeah. you won't, you know, <laughs> we haven't done that. And then yeah. the other thing is we built, we've built a huge archive of clients, you know, it's, you know, we've got, you know, we look, even look at our own delivery lists and sometimes and just go, oh, man, this is amazing, you know. Yeah. It's a, it's a who's who's client list and, and we're very proud of that and very you know protective of that but what it does I look mean, at some of your lists and I'm like wow as well <laughs> <laughs> but the good thing about that is, is you know we we've done it by you know honest endeavor and relationship building and you know we you know we genuinely love this business it's an awesome business to be involved with so the fact, the, the fact that we've been welcomed welcomed in with open arms and the fact that chefs you know say you know what we're going to open our restaurant and we're going to have a fire and we're going to cook on it because it's, you know, it's, it's you know, this analogue kitchen. You know, it's this sort of analogue method of cooking. Um, do you, do you, know, you... Go on, sorry. Yeah, you know, if we're welcomed in and it makes people go back to this fundamental sort of fire cooking process and, you know, and they work out of there, you know, we're, we're really, we're really pleased to be involved in that. Um, and then, you know, that gives us a really rich archive so when we're building our website now we went to our web developers and said how much information do you need and they just they just said to us you have got the biggest archive of info that's untapped just leave us to it and we'll tap away at it <laughs> which is great you know but that you can only do that by doing the work yeah so so now we can bring out when a website comes out it'll be much like a magazine you know you just have so much depth to it and which is great you know i think we're you know we're, we're at that point where we should be doing that because you know we're moving more you know we're, we're starting to go to other countries and, and we're starting to go to other you know cities and t- towns in, in across the uk so yeah and like yeah, you said you, you don't just do the kind of restaurant stuff either you're also targeting towards home cooks as well yeah we've always you know we've always said look if you're bold enough to approach us we'll send you products That's, you know the bottom line if you want to use chef grade products you know um but what we realize as well we're producing charcoal um for chefs which you know some of if you've seen the bags of charcoal we make 
especially the stuff we bring out of Spain, you know, it's almost like a jigsaw of a tree sometimes. It's huge pieces of charcoal. I mean, I jokingly have a charcoal hammer. So it's not often you get to smash your charcoal up, let alone, you know, most people complain that it's too small Yeah. without charcoal. But to actually have to open a bag and smash it up with a hammer is kind of ironic. So what we've done is we've taken the, um, the same product that we take in when we take the grade out of it, um, and, which is perfect for, you know, Weber's and Kamado's and, you know, and joy stoves and all those little cooking appliances. So you get a really great product. Um, and we put it in smaller bags, and we were kind of like, hey, look, it just makes sense to start selling. Because so many people would tell us that they get fed up with the products they're buying. And we were, we were kind of like, look, well, why don't we sell what we're doing to, so, we, you know, we're doing chef products for home cooks. And I think, you know, the response has been amazing so far. So, yeah, you're going to see some more of that for sure. Oh, amazing. There is, like, few... There are like a few charcoal brands that, that I use and that Ben uses. And I know people who are uh, sort of very enthusiastic uh, barbecues yeah. or home cooks yeah. are the same yeah. now. And it is, everyone is conscious of their fuel and conscious of what they're yeah. using and yeah. and yeah. do care about it more. So it, and it's, it's not yeah. just with barbecue. It's the same with everything. Everyone who's into cooking is a lot more conscious about what they're bringing into their kitchen, what they're using yeah. to cook, what they're doing. Yeah. And charcoal is all part of that as well. And, yeah. and it's definitely a, a point of interest for, for us, definitely. <laughs> And I know yeah, from, on. sorry, go on. Go on, no, no, go, go. I was just, I was going to, I was moving on. So it's, it's, it's right. If, if you want to just. No, uh, I, th I think what's happened, I think the other thing as well is like we, we realised with us, you know, when we started, we, we were right on the fringe, all that, you know, we did Clemson's Arch. So I'm sitting in Thomas Parry's restaurant now. I met Thomas when he was supporting other chefs at Clemson's. He did three seasons up there. And yeah. we just used to talk about cooking on fire. So we were like, you know, then it was really quite geeky and it's a bit like being a train spotter. But the thing <laughs> is now, we put so much information out there and we've been really lucky. We've been in the Financial Times. We've, you know, we've kind of been, we've kind of crossed that line where people genuinely get it. You know, even like, you know, FT journalists are like, no, we get what you're talking about. Now can we talk about it a bit more? So you have to, you have to realise that you're not a novelty anymore. You actually are part of the very thing that you wanted to help create. So, you, but everything we do is from a, is from a, a classic canon. So, like we do, we buy vines, vine wood. And that's a, one of the hardest things we can resort. But yeah. Like all these things, as you go and to find them, other people will come to you and say, "I hear you buy vine wood." So we now got, we we bought a, a vineyard out of uh, Rioja, which has got Tempranillo, Barilo, and all these other sort of where all these other grape varieties, but they're like 90-year-old vines. Now they got yeah. hit by a frost, so it damaged them. So they're going to come out. Now, wow. when you start cooking on those things, it's really novel and it's interesting, but they're part of cooking history from those regions. So, okay, so in, in so so the vine wood in classic, like, like the vines we trade out of France now. I mean, there's a, there is a, a, a historical dish which is you know beef dish entrecote board lays it's really classic dish it's shallots butter red wine and it's cooked over vine wood and that was probably the ingredient that had been missing for a long time um but you know that we bring those in because they are the real deal and, and i listen out to chefs and it was a chef um neil borthwick who worked in france a lot and he's got the merchant tavern and he said to me he said oh you you need some vine wood that's the real original ingredient in entrecote yeah. and I was really determined to find it and it took me two years 
And I mean, and another thing as well is every product that we sell, I've never found a product, I've never resourced a product off the internet. They've all been formed by one-to-one relationships. Yeah. So, so when I went to France, I got someone bought back a flyer for me for a guy who is called a fagotier, which means he puts together the, the thin vine clippings. I found him on a Tuesday, and by Thursday I'd driven down to Loire Valley to spend a week with him, you know, harvesting stuff, and he's become. I'm close with him. You know, he's now one of our suppliers. So it's all, you know, like when we were doing the whole moat charcoal. You know, we we got ourselves out into the into Spain, number of trips before we got anywhere near what we were doing. And then when I made a sample in Spain, we had to make a 16-ton sample. Wow! <laughs> 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 you know, nice. What if it wasn't a good sample? Yeah. <laughs> uh, luckily, it was a good sample. It was, it was awesome. Bit, you know. It, so yeah. So then, I mean, that's like I said, that you know, those sort of things. But you know, the whole moke is the whole moke is the tree. That grows the acorn that feeds the pigs that makes Passanegra. So it's a pedigree oak already. So as a single species, and you know the strength of that wood, that's yeah. why we wanted to make it. And that was after a conversation with Dan Cox from Ferra. So it's all about that constant relationship. Relationships, listening, yeah. yeah. Listening and picking up on things, and you know, it's um, yeah, it's not just a sort of singular thread. You're constantly looking and resourcing. So I guess as well with the way that the company's grown is it's a lot more personal with a lot of these people. There's a, yeah. like you said, there's a personal sort of touch to it, especially when people are asking for things and you're actually going out and sourcing them. I mean, what, what more can people really want as a yeah, customer? Well that's, well, that's it. And I think it's, um, you know, what I found is as well that one of the greatest responses we have um, is Julian and I travel a lot now. Um, and it's great having someone who's so organised to set your trips up. Um, but we travel and we, and we go and, you know, on these itineraries and go across Spain and places like that. Um, it's chefs, if you think about this, if you look at social media, so if you're, sitting, if you're working in the kitchen and you come to your break, most people, if you watch them in their break, they don't really want to talk to anybody else. They want to they just sit down and they escape through their phone. It's a portal out into the wide world. And, you know, we, we're out all the time. And, we, you know, you've seen my Instagram. I, I post a lot on my Instagram. <coughs> so people ask us, you know, oh, where have you been? I've seen you've been here. I've seen you've been there. And it's those conversations that you find that your customers and the people around it follow you. They're genuinely interested in that. You know, I, I yeah. started doing this talk at events called The Fire Traveller. And really, it's just about our travels and what we see and what we find and who we have, you know, who we've met. Um, and you just find them, it's just find interesting and, you know, authentic things to show people. I think that's what people want, you know, because in this huge digitized world that we live in, you know, we're talking to you on Skype, you know, and it will be podcasts across the Internet. But you come to a restaurant, and what do you come to a restaurant for? It's, it's kind of, some of it is theatre, it's experiential. You can't replicate that experience. And, you know, if you have a fire in your kitchen, you know, that's analogue cooking. You can't, there's no other way of making that happen. So if you go somewhere that's got really genuine, authentic ingredients, and that's right down to the fire, the experience is really, really rich. So, you know, people are aware of that, and they want to, they you know, as well as feed you, or they want to feed that sensory part of the yeah. experience as well and we're, we're conscious of that and i suppose that is that art background as well you know, yeah. you're conscious of more than one layer you know there's, 
there's a sort of texture to it. So you take it back to like a pub, like when you used to walk into a like a country pub and they'd have like a wood fire, like a log. Uh, I don't know, like yeah. a some and logs burning, and it's yeah. the smell, and you got the smell of the smoke when you walk in, and yeah. Yeah. there's just something special about that that adds to it and just, i mean yeah. it's the same point you're going to get down the street but there's something yeah. special about that and, and that yeah. is the whole thing the whole and they and that's done you know that's done consciously it's done because it's a lovely thing to do but the pubs that have got their fires are very proud of it it's they know that it's that aromatic and we know that we know as people you know that you catch a smell of something you know and it just takes you back i mean we put some some of this charcoal on in the kitchen in once and a KP came out the back and he had tears in his eyes. And, I, and they were like, you okay? And he's like, no, it smells like home. Mm. Because <laughs> we were burning the Spanish charcoal. Now, he probably yeah. hadn't smelled that smell since he'd been, been away. Yeah. So it's that, that thing is very evocative, very, very evocative. So, yeah. you, know, um, and, you know, and partly that's what comes across with the food as well. So, yeah. You know. And with, with all of this, with the businesses going... Uh, like mad you've got so many restaurants and stuff and, and uh, do you have any time to build barbecues now because you're building uh i've seen yeah. some barbecues that you've built are you yeah. still building uh yeah. custom yeah. yeah yeah we are we um <clears throat> we we're working on a we're, we're working on stuff for blacklock amazing and we're working on a development project for Hawksmoor to build a Hawksmoor grill, which is basically very energy efficient because that's what we're very conscious of, you know, because it sounds counterintuitive. You've got a charcoal supplier trying to reduce the amount of charcoal. <laughs> <laughs> but it's because we understand it, it's our duty to help our, you know, groups. I mean, Hawksmoor is probably one of our biggest customers. Yeah. Um, and we, and we, like I said, we're going out to do New York with them. So, um, if we can, if we can save fifteen percent by, you know, saving the energy, you can do that across the board. That's a, you know, that's a very important saving for them. You know. Yeah, um, massively. Yeah, and also say, you know, logistically, it means we have less logistics and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, we're doing that, and we've just done, um, we've done a, a Lovco kitchen for Metopia called the Joy Kitchen, which is. Um, the Joy stove is this cast aluminium, it's made from recycled aluminium, old aircraft parts and, you know, old bus gearboxes and that sort of thing. It's recast and made into this. It's based upon um, a Thai towel, which is much like if you've been to Kiln, yeah, yeah, a yeah. ceramic version. The, the Joy stove is made in the Philippines by a family um, and the, the, the Joy name comes from one of the daughters. And basically you can cook a wok on it, you can put a grill top on it. Um, and being aluminium, they really hold the heat, so they're incredible bits of kit. So we've built a joy kitchen. So because I've always wanted to see a bit, bit more, um, you know, Thai, northern Thai barbecue and that sort of thing, and Korean barbecue at Metopia, because there's a massive culture of that, you know, in those countries. So, um, yeah, we, so smoking goat and somsa are coming to, for the first time, to cook at Metopia. So we built the kitchen pretty well for them as well. So that's, Amazing. That's, yeah, it's beautiful. Really, really beautiful. Gives them like four wok stations and an open grill and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, and then we just continue to I'll do some consultancy work with big groups to help them. So, Katie de Costa's new restaurant, which is opening later this year. So, he's doing a restaurant called Impaia, 
So I designed the fire line, the cook line for that. So that's where my design and engineer background comes in. I can get back on the thing for doing that. But we've got a draftsman now who does all our 3D stuff for us, which is yeah. fantastic. You know, it means we can. I basically sit next to him. I have designed Tourette's. Yeah. <laughs> so I just bark, bark ideas at them and he turns them into reality. Yeah. So, yeah. And you'll see them on social media sometimes, some quite nicely drawn 3D renders of what we're doing. But, awesome. Yeah. awesome. We're always exploring, always exploring. And then next year we have a project that we're looking to develop, which is called Future Fire Kitchen. And Future Fire Kitchen is a development and training kitchen for the industry, which will be based in Bermondsey, Rotherhide on the Food Mile. And it'll wow. have a 40 seater at the front. So that means that companies can come in and train and develop their team Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they can come and do a residency. Um, and then the front yard will have 35 seats undercover as well. So, And then also when all the big events on like Taste of London, Utopia, all the big chefs that come over can come and do residencies in South East London. Um, and that, you know, we're right by South Bermondsey train station. So it's one stop from London Bridge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Workshops, chef development, you know, continuous professional development. Yeah, the full so circle. Other, yeah. So, That's epic. Yeah, it's so yeah. cool. That is so cool. Can't it's wait funny to when you see were it. Gonna, when I was going to bring up the joy stoves, as the exact exactly what I was going to say was uh, kiln in London, kiln Soho was us. Just that you just used the yeah exact uh, reference. Yeah, use. yeah, yeah. Because I mean. And in, in, I just come back from Vietnam, and even in Vietnam, that that's exactly what they're using. And we we went on a walk, uh, even through Ho Chi Minh. We were so Ho Chi Minh's capital. Uh, sorry, yeah. sorry, it's not the capital actually. It, when it was South Vietnam, it was, but it's uh, the largest city in Vietnam. And uh, when we went on a walk, we wandered out through the residential area, and people outside their house were cooking on on air over these. And basically, it was even just down to small things like uh, boiling a pot of water or yeah. anything and it's like yeah. rather than having a, a stove inside what they were actually using was these yeah. uh it's a little direct these, fire yeah little like direct fire um, yeah yeah when, when i saw them i found them through <coughs> excuse me i found through a guy in holland and i as soon as i saw them i just fell in love and i just thought it i mean i've got i've got big green eggs i've got 20 four inch Kamados. I've got every fire toy. I mean, I've got a 1500 feet lock-up unit full of fire toys. I mean, it's like Aladdin's cave of sort of, you know, Asador. Have a key, please. Sort of <laughs> <laughs> Let us in. <laughs> it is. It's ridiculous. You know, dozens of drum bacous, you name it, we've got the kit. Tandors, everything. But the interesting bit has been is I've spent this year, I've just chucked one in my truck, like when we go and support wilderness um, you know, we did wilderness. We, that's all we took with us. One of those. You know, it, it's so simple. You know, you can take the top off, which is like a concentric set of rings, put them on a table, put the little stove on the table. You can cook on a grill. You can put a flat top on it. Put put the, a pan on it. it. It's just. It's fundamentally, as you said, when you go everywhere, you see them using them. Yeah, you know? I mean, like the diversity of street food in the world is crazy, and literally about ninety plus percent of street food is cooked over something like this. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. in the back of a car or whatever it may yeah. be, something exactly. like this little stove. And that just yeah. gives you the scope of what can be done over yeah. something so so little and so unique. It's just simple. Well, once simple. you've used one, you kind of feel a bit guilty of how you've used some crazy great piece of kit. 
it's different if you want to cook, you know, an eight-hour rack of ribs or, you know, cook yeah. a brisket. But, I'll, you know, I've put my hands up here. I'll probably cook brisket twice in my life, you know, because it's just it's just not where I've come from. You know, I, I like yeah. the kit well enough, but I've done it. and gone, okay, tick, I know how to do it. But the things that really fascinate me are, I mean, a lot of vegetable-based dishes. Like I said to you, I'm doing this burnt tomato dish. You know, you just use a little chaffer plate and burn the tomatoes on there, the face of them. It's it's you get this fast turnaround of things. You know, I, I got I put mine on last night and I got some chicken thighs, took took them to the bone so the bone sticks out like a lolly stick, so they're yeah. like a flat fillet. You know, marinated them in yogurt and spices, cooked them over this fire, and it's just so immediate and so. You know, you use a handful of charcoal, and that's it. Just simple. Uh, yeah, and then you know you realise that. You know, unless you're in a restaurant setting or unless you're trying to cook for hours and hours, you know, you probably are overusing the amount of product you need, you know. And it's, um, yeah, it's just good fun. I like the fact you can just got a handle on it. You can just put it in the car. Take all your charcoal ashes out, please. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always, uh, always cautious of carbon monoxide poisoning. But, you know, and I want something as well that, I mean, if it falls out the car, it doesn't break. You know, I've broken enough big green eggs in my days. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's just good. <laughs> And it's bloody cheap as well. I mean, crikey. Yeah. yeah so that's, that's that's a great thing. So awesome. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Awesome. Looking well, forward to using one when I get back. Yeah, definitely. So I want to just kind of bring us to an end here, Mark, because we yeah. we um we said to you we'd, give, we'd take about half yeah. an hour. We've taken pretty yeah. much nearly an hour of your time, so I'm sorry, but <laughs> but we got too we got too into it. I think we could probably keep going for another hour as well. But yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> um, so I mean, that's the thing with us because yeah. we we've, we've got so much going on. I mean, just one key thing: our our e-commerce website launches next year properly. Our new website launches this year. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're doing a lot more front-facing stuff, and that's probably why we hadn't chatted to you in the past because I felt a we were just mental busy. As you can see, we're never stopping. Yeah. But I also felt that we were a bit niche, um, just servicing the restaurant industry. But seeing as we've got a bit more of an outward face, you know, I think maybe we're a bit more approachable now. Great. So, and then awesome. people people can see you at some other festivals this year as well. Yeah, so I'm going to be at Metopia, so, um, and we're going to be at the Ludlow Food Festival, where we're running the fire stage there. We did a small version of it last year, it was really, really popular. They put us in the main arena, to actually put a few people's noses out of joint, which we quite like, um, and we're the key stage, <laughs> and we do like a ma- magazine show. Um, that's the other bit, you know, you end up doing things like, you know, I end up doing talks, public speaking, and, you know, you end up on the stage for an hour in front of 300, 400 people, it's quite fascinating. Yeah. Um, and, but it's good it expands you as a person that's healthy you know mm. makes you sort of you know gives you a quake in, the, quake in your boots a bit so it keeps you on your toes <laughs> and that's with Cat Eye and you did a I know that Andy yeah. Lowe and Slow was there last year and he was talking yeah. to us about it recently and said he had a good time looking forward to it again this year yeah and then we're doing uh, PX PX is a very industry facing festival you can find all of those at Instagram um, and you'll find us at London Log Co or me at Lord Logs, you'll find those those there. Lord Logs has become a bit more of my personal account now, and at London Log Co is a bit more of our front facing. You can get in contact with us through those. Um, and then to finish the year off, I will be doing um, uh, a cooking of vegan curry over a fire, which will be fun at the Good Life Festival. That's up in Wales. 
Awesome. And then I'm off on one of my trips. I'm going to Southern Goa to cook out there with some guys um, to cook some, you know, real fire Southern Goan food on coconut shells. I went to I went to Kerala last year, so I make a big trip every year to try and find some some real things. I went to learn how to cook on tandoors, but you know, properly with the guys who just literally have a tandoor and a shack, and that's yeah. fascinating. So yeah. yeah. I've just recently come back from India and just the food was just incredible. Oh, and that was, I mean, we did, we hardly even touched the, scraped the surface and no, me too. just what we had was just incredible, like uh, nothing I've seen before. So yeah, looking forward to seeing that. Well, interestingly, uh, interestingly, I met up with a young guy who sort of was a hotel, sort of, you know, the resort manager. He's only 26. And he showed, started showing me his Instagram, saying, "Hey, this lady here, she makes like a, she makes like this from the, it's a village dish from the, right in the middle of nowhere that no one makes anymore." So they, you know, we all share this cultural experience yeah. of like trying to find new stuff. It's not just happening because I was a bit cautious. It was this sort of like you know sort of hip city sort of vibe thing, but it's not. It's global. Everywhere I go people are using it you know and it's, yeah, changed, yeah. it's changed how i travel so like i'm off to bologna next week to go on a food trip um and moderna and um what i do is when i go somewhere now i'll just post oh hey i'm in rome and then by the time i get to rome i'll have recommendations people come and meet you you eat the best food did it in portugal did it in lisbon it's just it's totally changed the way yeah you know you just go and arrive and wait for people to get in contact with you. it's amazing when you're coming over to malaysia hit me up and uh i'll meet yeah. you up and we'll, we'll give you a yeah. little food tour yeah definitely definitely well look thank you so much for the time it's been i appreciate it and i'm yeah. interested uh, when will this come up um it's going to be out now because we're still on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, thanks yeah. for thanks for spending some time chatting to us. It's been awesome to chat, and I uh, can see another I'm podcast right. coming up in the, again in the future. I'm, and I managed not to swear, which is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is useful because we didn't even tell you not to either, did we? <laughs> oh gosh. Oh, I have to cut that bit. Anyway. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> are you done? Are we done, are we? We'll yeah, just, yeah. We'll awesome. just say All bye. Right, guys, we'll say bye so for the sake of the podcast. So, yeah. See you later. Okay. See you later. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> bye. You're listening to United Q Podcast. We're brought to you by Pro-Q, Kamado Joe, Thermopen and Smokewood Shack. Pro-Q's extensive range of bullet smokers, reverse flow and gravity-fed smokers will suit all, from the home enthusiast to the big volume caterer. Kamado Joe, the king of ceramics, is renowned for build quality and innovation. From smoking, roasting or searing, get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Thermopen Instant Read Thermometers. Take the guesswork out of barbecuing with the super fast Thermopen. Smokewood Shack delivers quality smoking wood every time. 
They provide the spooky goodness, you provide the talent.